Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Guys, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am Alex, as always, and I am here to bring you this episode today. So, we just wrapped up what was, I hope, a very exciting phase in this little, well, not little, extremely long series I think it's going to end up being. Um, Because even before we really get into the Old Testament, uh, a couple thoughts that crossed my mind and so i put that out to my patrons and they all agreed doing uh, a little two-party episode or series is exactly what we're going to do in light of what we just went through so what we are going to now look at in this particular episode is pagan eschatology and then next week we're going to look at some world religions and how they view the end of times so we just wrapped up the four major views. We went through uh, the dispensational premillennialist, historical premillennialist, postmillennialist, and the amillennialist view. So we unpacked those, pretty much kind of gave them just the view of this is what they entail, this is what people believe, and then we will obviously revisit these views Uh, as we go through the Old Testament and New Testament scripture. But I thought what was interesting, uh, as I'm starting to build out my studies on the Old Testament scripture, is this view of uh, the pagans, you know, because it wasn't just the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Obviously, the world was inhabited by others. And so uh, we're going to look at some of the prominent uh, viewpoints from some of these um, cultures because you know pagan is basically anybody uh, outside of the major religions in the world that's Christianity Islam Buddhism and Hinduism and so we're going to look at some of these cultural beliefs on the end of times and we're going to kind of unpack that in today's episode so very excited about that uh, I think these notes are going to be I hope edifying 
uh, as we begin to really, really dig into this show. So just a few house cleaning pieces. So it's been a while since I've actually recorded an episode. So um, I did all of September's episodes in the early part of August. And so that means it's been probably about a month, actually, since I've actually had to sit down and record an episode. I try to do about four um, ahead of time, so that way I have the following month completely recorded, and then I can dedicate additional time to studying and schoolwork and things like that. So uh, a couple of things. So we do now have merchandise for Undying Light. You can uh, go to my bio, reformed underscore lifestyle, and you can go click on it. There's the link. It just says Undying Light Merch click on it you can get shirts t-shirts men women uh, we are working on bringing in uh, additional merchandise so we're trying to get masks hats tote bags coffee mugs and like toddler or young kids type gear as well so looking to expand that platform uh, but in order to do so we need support from listeners so if you want your undying light t-shirt go out and get it it's they are really good quality and it would be much appreciated if you uh want to show your support then uh, by all means go out and grab yourself a t-shirt a hoodie or a sweatshirt uh it is the undying light logo on the front and then i have psalm 119 105 printed on the back and i know a few people have already done so and have uh, ordered some shirts and so much appreciation for you uh, it is a um, just a something that I'm trying to do to give back. I don't make really much of anything on, on this stuff, so I'm not looking to, you know, get rich off of this. I'm just looking to, you know, turn around and, and give you guys some gear finally, right? Uh, a lot of the other mainstream people have it, so I figured if you uh, are an avid supporter of the show, might as well make it known and hopefully spread the word to other people. So past that, uh, if you do want to support the show in other means, we have a patron page. Obviously, I talk about it every time um, because I it continues to grow and people, I hope, are continuously blessed with it. I do a lot for those individuals um, and I love them dearly. So one of the things that I'm going to be doing is uh, a private giveaway within the patron group and uh, I'm going to be buying somebody G3 tickets and uh, I will be going to G3 next year. And so I will be buying a lucky patron uh, their ticket as well. So, and as I record this, obviously, um, this will air in October. It's middle of September now. Um, I bought and gave away a stack of Charles Hodges's um, systematic theology books. So, one of the patrons was a lucky winner of that as well. So, going forward, those are some of the things that I want to do. On top of th- just that, I want to do. Um, or we have been doing bi-weekly or a couple times a month we meet for a Bible study on Zoom. And we have been going through the book of Mark. And next I think we're going to do one of the Pauline epistles, uh, either Galatians or maybe like uh, 1st or 2nd Corinthians or something like that. But So we meet and we go through um, a section of the scripture. We talk about it, have really good discussions, and uh, we generally will go down a few rabbit holes or two. It's really a fantastic discussion um and it's kind of whoever can join joins and then uh, whoever can't i record it and then put it into the patrons for them to watch at a later time on top of all that i give uh, notes to shows 
you get to show a week in advance um, school notes and assignments that I'm working on. Uh, I don't generally make them public, so they get access to all that. And they, um, in a lot of cases, help critique some stuff too, because you know my goal is to uh, deliver the material uh, in a manner that the regular person in the church pew can understand it. And so they have been instrumental at helping me um, put together my thoughts and uh, relate to them so they can understand it. So there's a ton of things. We also have a really great discussion group on Instagram where you can join and, and be a part of this family and, and fellowship with like believers. So again, something else that I just try to do and uh, make it alive for everybody who can uh, or who desires to join can join. So um, just a way for me to give back um, to all those who have helped support this ministry as it's growing. I continued, I want it to continue to grow. So um, please subscribe to the podcast. Please um, leave reviews on whatever platform it allows you to do so. Share it with other people. Uh, I will try to be more vigilant on getting things posted and um, being more attentive to things like show notes and things like that as well. But it's a lot of work running the podcast, doing the Instagram page, schoolwork and all that. So um, I appreciate everybody who has come alongside me and supported this ministry. So as always, one of the big tools that I've used, especially in this particular episode, is Logos Bible Software. And I used some of the material that I had. Uh, I will put the book in the show notes um, because it was absolutely instrumental to putting together um, all of this. It's... Uh, the Eschatology of the Old Testament, and it's by Gerhardus Voss. And this book is going to be what I use actually for this whole series on the Old Testament. So he's got a chapter dedicated just to pagan eschatology, and so I utilized a lot of his views um, and just to f kind of uh, address some of the big world players, uh, the world cultures um, through history. And so Logos Bible Software gave me the ability to have it digital. I have a printed copy, and I read that as well. So um, the great thing with this is that I can put Logos on my phone, and I can literally read this and look at my notes on my phone. Not only that, but um, all of the, the extensive library that comes with it is, is amazing. So logos.com forward slash undying light. Get yourself a copy of whatever plan or package if you would that you uh looking for this isn't just for scholars or pastors or people in seminary this is a great tool for all people uh, even the free download that you get and you just build your library from that is instrumental i love logos it's been by far the best uh application that i've used thus far in my ministry walk so enough house cleaning stuff let's get into this topic guys I am very, very excited about it, and uh, I've spent a couple days writing notes and doing research, so I hope that uh, this starts to shed some light on what the rest of the world thinks of, just outside of religion, right? Because everybody else has a viewpoint. So this doesn't really talk about modern day, because modern day is going to really pull from a lot of these core pagan views and um, world religions. And so we're going to go back in time and we're going to look at some of these older foundations. So uh, out of the pagan system, if you would, there have been four major groups that uh, put together 
their views of what the quote-unquote end of times is going to look like. So we have uh, the Egyptians, we have Babylon, we have the Persians, and then we have the Romans. So in these segments, um, they basically, you can say that they uh, pull their knowledge from other sources, and I will address that as we kind of unpack this a little bit. But it's interesting at how they, uh, where they get their information from. Um, so a couple things we want to talk about, first of all, uh, is these are the four big pagan views, right? They don't touch a religion. They are outside of religion, so they are cultural views. Uh, they don't obviously touch on all of the smaller cultures that have been around the world throughout the history of time, but these are some of the big ones that we have written documentation for. Um, now, there are obviously smaller communities in time that have predicted the end of times. However, one of the things in recent history um, around the Mayans that actually doesn't even really uh, involve the end of times. It was a misconception, a misunderstanding, and yet it really blew up into this big event that people were so f uh, worried about. So let's give a little bit of history about it, because I, I really want to touch base just on this one aspect and uh, to really show you how much a culture can actually have influence on people. So, um, and I also want to make, make note, too, that this is not a recent culture, right? The Mayans existed a long time ago, and uh, right around about uh, the period of 3,000 years or so before Christ. And that culture has such a major impact, especially on, you can call them doomsday preppers, if you would, or just people today. And uh, it's interesting uh, how they unpacked all this. So, obviously, we know that the quote-unquote predicted date was December 12th, 2012. Obviously, I'm recording today. It's uh, September 12th, 2020. So we're almost eight years to the date from this quote-unquote expiration, right? The end of the world. So the Mayan calendar was recorded or written around 3114, give or take. That's just what some experts kind of pinned. Um, and the reason they do this is because the calendar itself spans 5,100 years, actually 5,125 years. And then it ends on December 12, 2012. So in, really, instead of the Mayans saying that this is the end of the world, they are just simply predicting or mapping out an end of their period and the beginning of a new period, a beginning of a new phase, a new cycle. So this isn't really an end-of-the-world scenario. It's not an eschatological understanding of view um, of the end of times. However, because this quote-unquote calendar, you know, this is what uh, all the people base everything off of, um, many major Hollywood studios uh, actually took and ran with this idea and produced some blockbuster movies, right? One of the famous ones that most of you probably know or remember is the movie 2012. And it was just a catastrophe movie, right? Everything happened the day the world just ended. Uh, the world's flooding and um, earthquakes that were shattering cities and just catastrophic events 
Now, I mean, there's obviously many other end-of-the-world type movies, and, uh, yeah, Hollywood just takes advantage of kind of that fear, right? The fear of the unknown. Well, we are, obviously, the scripture tells us that tomorrow is not promised, and so that's something that um, these movie producers take advantage of, right? And they build out these elaborate movies that are based upon some event, and many millions of people are going to end up dead because of it so they took advantage of this they produced these movies and basically um you know we turned in our dollar bills to watch it and uh, it was a semi-successful movie Uh, but anyways past that (laughs) many uh not just hollywood takes advantage but right cults will take advantage of this too and um even though you know uh, paul and i had um separated the show paul's done a series on cults so uh, i would recommend you know watching and listening to that and uh, getting a uh, a better understanding of all the various cults that are uh, throughout history so but anyways a lot of these the smaller the bigger ones will take advantage of these prophesized days and uh, even some of these leaders will prophesy that the world is going to end on X date um, and convince their people to basically just kill themselves. And uh, that's a a terrible thing that people can get wrapped up into. Um, And many do so, actually. They will use scripture to um, build out um, some sort of system based on some dates and obviously a lot of twisting uh, of scripture, manipulation of scripture. And they'll predict that the world is going to end on X, Y, and Z day. Interestingly enough, they have always been wrong. Every single one of them. Nobody's ever predicted the date uh, correctly. Another big proponent in history is Nostradamus. He has quote-unquote predicted so many various events and things like that that have come uh, to unfold it later in his life. Um, and I think he was another proponent behind the 2012 um, hype. And... Uh, Again, he may have had some generic predictions correct, but in regards to the end of the world, it's still, you know, 9, 12, 2020, I'm still here recording this episode. And uh, by the time this airs in October, I'm sure you will be still there too. So uh, anything that he's predicted in regards to the world ending, obviously we either have not come to it yet, which is funny because they always, you know, anytime somebody's wrong, they recalculate oh i was wrong on my date it's actually you know four years in the future or something like that they come up with some random excuse to change the date so as we dig into this episode um we're going to talk about the major pagan views right and then uh part two of this is going to look at uh the big uh, religions around the world and their uh, views on eschatology Um, that will be airing next friday Uh, So throughout history, many strange stories and fables have arisen uh, that uh, surround kings and individuals, you know, like King Arthur uh, is a big one that even people in England still think that he's going to come back at some point and then lead England into an age of prosperity and peace. So these are, again, not eschatological in their understanding right these are not end of time scenarios these are just fables and stories Um, these are just uh, 
prospects, uh, wishful thinking, if you would. Um, basically, uh, we can call this uh, literacy or court ceremonial eschatology. This is not what we're looking at from a, a biblical understanding of what eschatology is, the end of times. So many pagan beliefs, uh, for, for many of these, uh, it's not just uh, a view or it's not as much, if you would, a view on the end of the world, but it's basically the passing of an age, the passing of one world into the next, the end of an age into the next age, um, the calendar switch, if you would, in the Mayan time period. Uh, so this, again, is not really an actual ending of a particular date. This is just the uh, end of a cycle and the beginning of a new. And throughout history, we see these types of examples, right? There's the age of gold and iron and brass, the industrial age. Uh, all of these ages uh, signify a progression of knowledge, a progression of human evolution, uh, and I, you know, into knowledge, if you would, and the development of com more comfortable living, the, you know, the age of gold, iron, and brass helped us to formulate buildings and weapons, and um, you know the industrial helped us to build out bigger cities and uh, really brought us into where we are today in terms of technology and understanding of how things work in life. But enough of that. Let's dig into these uh, four pagan views and we're going to start with the Egyptians and these this is probably the most elaborate of the four I think in my opinion but interestingly enough you'll see as we get to the very end of the Egyptian view um, kind of the uh, twisting of it if you would so now most of these views if you could um, for the Egyptians are based off of four central texts that they have written. These were written, uh, again, between the year 2250 BC and 2000. So about a 250 year time period that these four texts were written. Um, now, in the Egyptian culture, there is much older knowledge. There is much older unwritten understandings of things, but these are not obviously well kept. Uh, and they kind of can go in many different routes. Some of this uh, going all the way back to circa 37 BC um, in terms of time. So a much, much older knowledge to a culture that is extremely old to begin with. So the first uh, text we're going to examine, and I'm going to butcher these names. I'm just going to tell you up front, I am not... A historian on Egyptian names or Babylonian names or Persian names but uh, these are um, some names I will, uh, I will I'll butcher so I'm gonna tell you that up front and um, and just let you deal with it uh, so the first one is papyrus golden Shaif, golden chef uh, this was written under King uh, Snufru around 2000 BC uh, and this p particular papyrus uh, gives us a good imagery of some great convulsions and tribulations. So in this, what we are getting is um, events like robberies, invasions, famine, 
um, and all of these cal calamities, and you'll see that word come up a lot in this study, um, is all brought in after its fall, followed by a period of salvation, a period of blessed truth and prosperity. Uh, victory across the kingdom is going to be rampant, and people will be living in, eh, call it harmony if you would. So these changes from a period of calamity into prosperity are brought in by a king born in the south, and his name just happens to be Son of Man. Now, uh, I want you to notice the connections to Christianity here, right? The king born in the south uh, will be named the Son of Man. And that's, you know, this period of sinful you know, desires, and then will be brought into a period of salvation and um, truth and prosperity. Um, but uh, I do want to do a side note. James White has done a couple discussions and debates that do a great job at debunking the idea that Christ came from, the idea of Christ came from these uh, papyrus letters. So you can, I would highly recommend listening to that. Uh, and White does, like I said, a fantastic job dealing with the Egyptian um, theory, if you would, on, uh, on the, the root of Christ coming from that. So the second uh, papyrus we are going to talk about real quick is the Leyden papyrus. And this focuses on the atomotion of the Egyptian sage. Um, and it's basically... a a Egyptian sage, I should say, uh, an unnamed person. Um, the same as the last papyrus um, in regards to how things are going to happen. Uh, it's a period of cal uh, calamity followed by a period of refreshment. Um, the contrast here, though, really is more of a, a focus on ethics, right? Uh, it, this particular sage seeks the lost strikes its sin and has the gods, the all of the Egyptian gods in his heart. So again, another parallel to Christianity. The third papyrus, Prophecy of the Lamb. And this is uh, written under uh, King uh, Bocorus. And uh, again, as the last two, shows us the same contrast, right? This seems to be kind of a popular thing within the pagan culture. They they can look out and see that um, the level of sin amongst man is rampant, right? Uh, and Paul writes about this in, in Romans, that the pagan culture, the Gentiles, those who are not the Jews, uh, have been turned over to their sin. They know sin is written on their heart. So these writers can just look and say, wow, all of this is happening. People are dying. People are stealing stuff. There's wars and famine in our land uh, so obviously let's write about something that is going to end all that so we see that in these writings right the contrast between um, evil times and good times uh, the big one here in this prophecy uh, shows us this military victory that's going to happen against uh, Syria so that's one of the big contrasts that we get in this prophecy the fourth one is the prophecy of the potter and this comes under king Amonophis and uh, this one is a little different it's going to mention some uh, calamities it's going to talk about the sun darkening 
Uh, again, another great period of lawlessness. And then guess what? A king arises in a state of blessedness and ushers in another period of uh, peace. And interestingly enough that with this last one, uh, all of the people who are um, a witness to this king arising, they will have wished that the dead could raise from the grave and be a part of this because the dead will have suffered under this lawlessness and not enjoy this blessed period. So we really have a lot of similarities to Christianity in this, in the Egyptian text. Um, and, you know, as like I said, James White did a great job at uh, debunking that. If I can find that clip again, I will put it in my show notes so that way you can uh, reference it. But uh, a lot of these texts here, these four prophecies, have been under a lot of scrutiny, not only for their authenticity, but their reliability as well. A lot of them don't believe that these are even real or if they are, you know, reliable. And the fact that these were really given outside of having other influences. Um, And one of the notes that Voss gives us here is that uh, one of the translators who in the early 1900s was translating these these prophecies um he ends up discarding most of the eschatology found in this text and he actually is reducing uh, the original documents down to nothing more than just a picture of bad times in contrast with the hope of a better time right so we can like as i mentioned a few minutes ago we see that you can look at your kingdom and see that there is rampant lawlessness and these writers will then have said, boy, I will hope for a better time. And so that's what this translator reduces. And he's discarding a lot of these prophecies that have influenced by Christianity. Uh, obviously, if these texts were written in the, you know, the, this time period of 2000 BC, they're not going to have you know, Christ, obviously, to pull from. But again, the reliability of these documents could shift whether they are even authentic to that particular frame of time or not. So we can say that these events are not necessarily eschatological, but simply just a more of a change of circumstances. They're not the ending of the world and the doing away with sin and the bringing in of you know, Christ the Savior, as in Christianity. Um, these are not the end of the world per se, but it's just the change of a circumstance from lawlessness to a blessed period or a better time of hope. So that's the uh, Egyptian view on uh, the end of times. Again, there's pr- much, much more that can be said on this. These are just four high-level uh, prophecies that I've looked at. Um, these views with the with any of these pagan cultures can go extraordinarily deep and uh, many books again have been written on all this stuff i'm just trying to paint some pictures to help people understand uh where you know the christian view comes in line to what pagans and other world religions have and so if this stuff kind of interests you by all means go and get some books on it read up on it because there is a lot of information out there you know the egyptian culture is um a very long history and a very deep history and so uh this t- 10 minutes that i devoted to it is you know doesn't even scratch the surface it barely is throwing a pebble at a sea of information so uh 
now we're going to shift over and we're going to look at uh, the Babylonian view of the end of times. So this one's actually quite interesting as well, I found as I was writing this. So uh, their main god, and I use lowercase g in all of this, right, and, or air quotes if you would, uh, is called Marduk. Uh, he is the god of light and sun, and he's also the god of salvation and deliverance. Uh, this Marduk, he will usher in a new year, and uh, every so every year uh, the Babylonians will throw a feast for him uh, as they usher in uh, a new year in celebration. So he is praised in this particular time period. Uh, another interesting thing with the Babylonian history is uh, how some of these kings will actually view themselves in light of their subjects. So throughout history, uh, Babylonian history, many have actually laid claim to being a god. And, and we see this kind of in a lot of cultures around the world. Uh, Roman culture is big on this, right? Caesar's god. Caesar will never die. Um, and we see this uh, throughout all of these various worldly pagan cultures. So it's not uncommon that uh, a Babylonian king will lay claim to being a god. Um, and this really comes a lot to if there's mystery surrounding the, the birth of this particular king, if there's no known parents or they come out of a, an unknown land, or even if you know they conjure up some sort of story. Um, a case, for instance, is a king named uh, Gouda, uh, circa 2200, called himself a god begotten of the gods. So we see this type, again, throughout all of history. This is not an uncommon thing. However, we know that the kings in Babylon and Babylon were not gods. They all died. So they hold uh, very much uh, a similar view uh, on the end of times, or if you would, this change of circumstances that the Egyptians do. Uh, there's a period of calamity, and then there's a period of peace. Uh, and then they, but the interesting thing is that the Babylonian view is more focused on world cycles, a concession of eras leading up to a point where the original point is reached anew, and then the process begins all over again. So it's just this ongoing circle, if you would. Uh, the world just keeps kind of going in this big long cycle uh so one of the things um that i that voss again writes about is this um seneca uh, quotes this priest uh this babylonian priest uh the priest's name is uh, barosus uh, and barosus teaches that the world will end through the conf uh, conflagration when there was an astral conjunction in the sign of cancer so the Babylonians looked at the stars uh, and uh, pulled a lot of their understanding from that. Uh, he goes on to say that the world would be destroyed with an ingrate uh, inuteration when uh, there is an astral conjunction in the sign of Capricorn. So again, he's putting together signs in the stars, looking at um, this period that the world is going to end based upon some astral conjunction. Uh, so that's where they get a lot of their information is on the movement of the stars. 
movement of the world, the planets, things like that, that they could observe. Um, and uh, what we're getting here is their completion of the cosmic cosmical year uh, will be returned to a great pristine condition. So that wraps up just, a, again, a very quick view of the Babylonian understanding. There's, um, again, more information out there. Uh, but for the sake of my mind and the sake of the show, uh, we're just going to kind of condense it down to the fact that they pulled a lot of their understandings from the stars, and it necessarily wasn't a end-of-the-world type under, uh, view, where the world, again, is destroyed or ends, and a new world begins. But again, it's just a world cycle, the be ending of a period, the beginning of a new period. So now we're going to shift to the Persians. And again, I, I, mean, I apologize ahead of time. Uh, there's a couple of gods in here that I'm going to absolutely butcher the names of. So, sorry, not sorry. Persians, if you're listening, you can send me your hate mail. So, a, not like the Babylonians. Uh, the Persians are not based on astronomical changes. At, uh, they do not look to the stars. But in fact, that they have two gods, uh, two powers fighting for... Uh, the, the the people really there's a good god and then there's this bad god um, the good god I, from what I've seen in the notes looks like there's two good gods and two bad gods so there's um, Aurora Mazda and and uh, or Mazd is the other good god name the evil is uh, Angra Menu um, and then uh, Araman is the other one. So we're just going to, for simplicity's sake, we're going to say the good gods and the bad gods. So uh, with everything, right, this is a conflict that will move towards a uh, ethical complexion, right? It, it, there's a goal here that um, the Persians want to build upon. They want the good gods to win, and so this is what they build out in their understanding is that through time, the good guys will overcome the evil and uh, all things will be ushered in then. So so this um, is the final supremacy, right, of a good power. This is what they want us to uh, build upon for the Persian culture. Uh, and then their views of the end of times is as follows. Here are some of the elements. The end of the ethical conflict resulting in a judgment, a resurrection, and the Final supremacy of good over evil and after death, obviously. So, in this view, there is a savior at the end of it all. There's a universalism of salvation. All of the men will be blessed. And then, interestingly enough, there is going to be 6,000 years of quiet uh, before the struggle again of two opposing powers, followed by 6,000 thousand years of turmoil and destruction ending with a period of bliss this is actually probably one of the closest biblical views um, i <clears throat> think this is probably about closer maybe than the egyptian view because the egyptian view uh, as we've noted a lot of those have been kind of thrown out and cast away uh, in the Persian understanding, there is this, uh, the Yama 
is considered the first king of the Golden Age. This is a re reflection to the first Adam. Uh, and together, his subjects will be transferred into a future life, or really a paradise. Uh, this connection to Christ and believers in the New Testament is evident right here in this understanding. Uh, and the argument uh, against the Persians, though, uh, so what we can actually look and say, you know, uh, and, and to debate this, is that this view isn't found in the Avista, which is a collection of the Persian writings in their history. So because of that, uh, many scholars have actually placed and uh, their dependency upon scripture, biblical scripture, to recreate this view of the end of times. Um, in fact, a French scholar, Darmester, uh, places these writings of the end of times around the year AD 200. So uh, what we are actually getting is possibly a view or understanding of the end of times uh, from the Persians through the uh, Christian worldview. So really, if we start to kind of unpack all of this, what we get before we get to Rome is a lot of these worldviews are borrowed or orchestrated, constructed long after some of the original writings um, take place. And so it's fascinating to see that these really aren't actual eschatological understandings of the end of times. They're just borrowed views of ending one cycle and moving on to the next. Um, but it's a topic I think that is well needed uh, to discuss as we go through this series since we are talking about the Christian worldview of the end of times. And uh, I think it plays well into the, uh, the understanding of how other cultures have uh, deemed themselves. So our last group uh, that we are going to examine is Rome. Now, Rome uh, has a lot of history, again, to it. Um, and one of the interesting things, one of the characteristics of this variety is the particular use of a soter title. Uh, the title is transferred from gods and demigods, heroes first to human rulers after death, and then to other living rulers. Um, and so this particular title, uh, soter, and we are going to uh, look that up, and so I can tell you exactly what it means. Is the uh, derives from the Greek meaning of a savior or deliverer. So, I did mention early, early, early in this show that um, you know the Romans, a lot of their rulers would view themselves as basically gods, living gods. And we see that kind of in this understanding um, and, uh, and, and view, um, mainly focusing on the Hellenistic period um, after Alexander the Great is, uh, it was given to earthly rulers, but only after the death and great hesitation. So this understanding of the end of times um, in ancient Greek for the gods and demigods comes down to earthly rulers. Uh, it was later used uh, boldly by living kings um, 
particularly by the Palatmus of Egypt and uh, another one in Syria. And so really what we're getting here from the Romans is in Greece is this deep history of gods and demigods and rulers, both living and dead, that have influence over um, their culture and their understanding. And so what we're getting in their eschatology view comes from a few different sources. First, we see it in the fourth Ecologue of Virgil, which is circa 40 BC, um, where these fantastic expectations are connected with the birth of a child of Apollo. Uh, Virgo connects the event with the return of a golden age, the age of Saturn. Uh, the sun will be a uh, will be a god and a wonder to the gods. He will bring peace to the world of politics and to the world of nature among all of the animals and such. Um, and before this, there is a brief period of conflict. So again, the, a period of calamity followed by a period of peace. And so we get that again. And interesting that uh, this period of conflict uh, specifically focuses on the Trojan War. And then after, we see a long period of peace. So this particular um, source has a lot of some uh, biblical coloring. So there's a period of sacrifice followed by a period of cleansing. And this is actually... Uh, the world returning to an original cycle, quote-unquote, the age of Saturn. Uh, it does have a lot of cosmological um, elements to it. And Virgil essentially was hoping to become the Homer of his period, if you would. Um, he was really trying to write to be a dynamic and you know long sought after person somebody that uh, made a major impact on the culture uh, the second that we can get is in the uh, the Ionid, which was written around 23 bc and Archilles prophesizes to his son augustus will reign from sea to sea in the age of saturn uh, thus it's written about the son of paulo is here ascribed to augustus uh, the third decrees and inscriptions of the uh, ascetic provinces relate to the reign of Augusta states that he will receive certain honors given to the divine savior of the world. Again, we see these rulers getting this privilege, this they're being renowned and shown this favor. They're basically God in man flesh manly flesh um, with the position of rulership over uh, all of this all of these domains so how can we really explain this so this is Voss's conclusion to his writing on the pagan section so how how does he explain all of this so first what we can understand is there's this uh, desire in the human heart um, to place a blessed state beyond our present. We can, like I said, we look out and we see all the troubles in the world. And we want to hope that there's something better coming. Uh, perhaps this is due to a vague remembrance of an original state, perhaps a paradise or a story that has been long taught in our cultures. And this is what we are hoping will come back. So at any rate, this is nothing new in Roman eschatology. The whole 
um, is as a Hellenistic adaptation of perhaps maybe even an Old Testament viewpoint uh, going back to the Garden of Eden. So a lot of these views that we've discussed today are solely based upon a desire for something better than what the current culture has to offer. And we see that written as the there's a period of conflict and then a period of happiness and prosperity and flourishing. Some of these, obviously, we can probably note that take a lot of influence from Scripture, the Old Testament, um, to be more precise, because most of these were written long before the New Testament was even written. Uh, the Roman writings, though, are fairly close in regards to when uh, the life of Christ would have been. Obviously, we see time frames of the 40 to 23 BC. We know that Christ came around in about 3 BC um, in that time period. So some of these writings obviously do um, predate Christ, but these are just estimated times of writing. A lot of these are all circa this time period. So it could have been another 50, 80, or 100 years in the future uh, when these were written. But they do this based upon, you know, when they when they give a date, it's done based upon who uh, the um, who they can claim the author is, when did that author live, what is the condition um, that their author is writing about, uh, is there a particular person that he's writing about, uh, and so we can best pin down uh, that these were predated to Christ. But over time. Um, these could have adapted and had additional influences brought into it from outside sources. That's always a possibility with some of these older cultural writings. The nice thing with uh, with the biblical worldview and the, and the way the Bible was constructed is that <clears throat> the authors were, you know, given one specific, you know, word from God, and then we see that echoed. And we see that echoed throughout time. And as um, scribes come in and copy, they do not add to the text because uh, what we can get from the manuscripts are essentially the same thing that we're reading today, 2,000 years later. Uh, so that's an, uh, a, an aspect of the Bible that we can look back and, and understand that it is, in fact, trustworthy as a reliable source of information, and we can look back and say that we understand that this is, in fact, God's word. So we briefly dug into four views that the pagans presented, and um, we started to put together and understand that these are heavily influenced by the culture. Um, and the desires to have a better period or a desire to go back to the beginning where everything was good and, and clean, if you would, um, untarnished. So uh, very interesting, if you would. I, I've learned a lot. Um, it just really more or less how the Bible stacks against these pagan views. Um, the Bible is a very clear roadmap, if you would, from beginning to end. It's God's unpacking his redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. It's clear. It's concise. It does not waver. There's not additional text floating around that might contradict it. 
the Bible is in and of itself a complete spoken word of God. And it's the only book in the history of mankind that carries the weight that it does. A lot of these pagan societies we know have um, long since vanished. They've been dissolved and triumphed over by other competing cultures. They um, just floundered out and disappeared. And the Bible has not. It has kept with us and has been unchanged since its original writing. So that is, again, a beautiful promise to God's people. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that this was a good episode in regards to bringing you just some information around some of the pagan understandings um, just to start to build upon what we are going to get into as we dig into the the biblical understanding of the end of times. We're going to look at the scripture, the Old Testament, New Testament, Pauline, and Revelation. Uh, I think the Revelation is going to be very... Um, a, a much longer series. I haven't decided if I'm going to go verse by verse, but uh, or section by section. I mean, um, but I think we're going to look at it in the form of some periods, and we're going to probably do anywhere between seven and ten episodes on Revelation. So uh, we've got a lot on our plate in the next period. Uh, this episode is going to air uh, first week of October, and then uh, we should be into the Old Testament week three of October, and that will probably carry us through into the end of November. So just to kind of guide the show out a little bit, uh, December, we're going to break from eschatology. We're going to do a Christmas special. We're going to do four weeks on uh, on Christmas, celebrate the birth of our Savior. Uh, And then in January, we will get back into eschatology again, carrying on wherever we left off at. And then we're going to let the show go for you know, in this particular series until I think we've exhausted it enough. I don't know. Um, it's going to be another eight, 10 episodes after that, a couple more months of it. Then, uh, as I've ta- I've mentioned early, early on in this series, we're going to look at some of the lesser known books in the Bible. We're going to look at some of the lesser known uh, people who pop up in the Bible. We're going to look at their story. We're going to talk about it. And uh, so we'll probably be spending a lot of time in the Old Testament again. Uh, and we might even come across a couple people in the New Testament. So uh, so hold out for that. I'm very excited. My wife gave me that idea, um, and I'm very much looking forward to it. And then I think we're going to do uh, something different with the show. So we're going to conclude that series, and then we're going to take a left turn. And so we've done a lot of topics on Undying Light. Uh, even when Paul was here, we, did a, we were very much topical um, and... But I, as I'm looking back at the history of the show, the most listened to episode that we had was our Romans 1 episode, verses 1 through 17. That uh, show is the highest listened to show in uh, our history. And so uh, something that I was just thinking about as I was driving home yesterday from work, actually, I kind of just placed on my heart. So uh, my plans, hopefully... Um, and obviously by the end of this year is to be in ministry. It's on some capacity. That, that is my prayer. Uh, I'm working with a couple of churches. There's a good possibility of it happening soon. And by soon, I mean, I don't know when. <laughs> so it's all based on God's timing. So uh, one of the things that I thought about is looking at the understanding of scripture and, and how, uh, it plays into our lives. So, like I said, we've done a lot of topics. We've talked about TULIP. We've talked about 
the the Christian books uh, or the Christian perspective and modern views um, as we went as I went through various um, issues that Christians face, whether it's in the Christian bookstore, the you know Christian music, the modern church, things like that. Uh, Paul was doing uh, his hermeneutic series, and then we were jointly going to go through Romans together. So my plan is, uh, as I'm writing sermons, and my sermon journey will be to take my congregation uh, verse by verse, section by section through the Bible. Uh, That's what I'm going to do with this show. So uh, my sermons will actually be based upon uh, the show that I do. And so my goal is to take all of you. We're going to start probably in the New Testament. We're just going to go through scripture. We're going to go at section by section. I'm going to talk about it. Uh, I don't know if this show is going to be going to continue that 45 minute mark. Obviously, this one went a little bit over, but um, uh, we're going to probably hit about 25, 30 minutes per episode. Um, But uh, what I'll probably do. Um, something similar to the Bible dingers, not near as in depth, but I'll do an introductory show on the book. And then after that, we're going to go section by section. We're going to do a deep dive into kind of the theology, how I would write a sermon on it. Um, we're going to talk about the scripture, the history, um, the culture, things like that. And uh, I really hope to bring about something very similar, I guess, to what I did with the Romans on the um Instagram series. So we're going to do something very similar to that, if you would. So it's going to be kind of my expounded notes on uh, a particular section. So we'll uh, look at that probably towards the end of 2021. And then uh, we'll, we'll see how long that takes us. I think that's going to take a very, very long time going section by section through the Bible. Obviously, 66 books. Um, that's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. So um, I hope that uh, I hope you guys are excited for that. Cause I am. I hope that you guys are excited for the remaining uh episodes in this series because i'm definitely looking forward to digging into all this with you so please if this has been beneficial share this with your friends your family your church your whoever um share it on instagram share it on facebook twitter uh subscribe leave me a review and uh that's the easiest way to get out is the word of mouth so i'm really hoping we can grow this show and continue to grow it if you're interested, please go check out the merchandise that I have. Um, that link is in my bio. If you want to be a, a monthly supporter of this podcast and help me take care of all of the odds and ends that the show costs, uh, by all means, you can do so for as low as a dollar a month for the patron support. Some people give more. Some people give a dollar. Uh, I show love across the table to all people. So by all means, get in on it. Um, that will... Uh, also, by the time this show airs, um, if you do become a supporter, that will get you into the G3 giveaway because I haven't, I won't have done that until probably the early part of November. So, uh, giving away a ticket to uh, G3 to come and join me. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you guys uh, had a good time. And there's my daughter as we wrap up this show. Um, she's been watching kid shows on YouTube to occupy her mind. So. Ladies and gentlemen, I love you all. Thank you for tuning in, and God bless. We will see you next week as we tackle world religions and their eschatology. Peace out. God bless.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.